Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the Mazzotcast. Howdy, Tiger fans, and welcome to the final season preview game before the college football season begins. I'm your host, Brendan Anthony, and with me, as always, is the creative director for the Drew Locke Swimsuit Calendar, Colin Anthony. Hey, thanks for having me. And not able to join us this week is uh, Brian Goers, who is out with a prolapsed anus. Yeah, he took a... uh tour of the uh, Missouri prison system this week and uh, was unable to join us uh, as a result. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, poor Brian. And uh, also uh, producer Joel, wave to Joel. Hey there. Back behind the glass. Uh, yep, uh, Joel, <laughs> due to uh, listener demand, is back behind the glass. Mm-hmm. Oh, far, far away from a microphone. <laughs> Where he belongs. Yeah, so uh, this is it. Uh, next Saturday, the Tigers will be playing football and it will count oh, God. against the SEMO Red Hawks here in Columbia. And uh, we're, I don't think excited expresses it enough. No, we're both tumescent. Yes. And uh, so let's get to it, I guess. Um, I guess. The, the fall camp is over. One last scrimmage that the media got to see. And we've got a last taste of what the football team might look like. The final depth chart is going to be released on Monday, according to Coach Pinkle. But, uh, you know, a lot of moving and shaking around. But... Colin, there was one topic that really drew media attention more than any other. Drew my attention. It certainly did, and that is around the quarterback. Yep. So are you are you ready for some red hot mock lock talk? I am ready. Hot lock mock talk. That's what we're here to do tonight. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, boy. We got to do it because <laughs> oh, yeah. when the season started, uh, I think everybody knew that Matty Mock was going to be our starting junior quarterback, and Drew Locke was the uh, kid waiting in the wings, but he was going to redshirt. And yet Drew Locke really threw a monkey wrench in those plans because he just kept being amazing at yeah. football. He really he really is, uh, by all accounts, very, very good at playing football, which would you know is sort of vindication for the Tigers and the recruiting of him. That's right. And, you know, uh, the the prevailing wisdom has really morphed over the course of the three weeks of camp, and um, now the the smart money is that uh, Drew Locke is not going to have a redshirt this year. He was going to be a true freshman, and he's going to get minutes. Well, that was the uh, prevailing sentiment on Twitter and the blogs, on the newspaper. I mean, everybody seems to be going um, – where conventional wisdom would say we're going to redshirt this guy, everybody's like, you cannot deny that this kid is ready to play right now. I mean, mm-hmm. and granted, it's the it's scrimmages, and a lot of times uh, Locke is going up against second team. But I mean, the last the last um, scrimmage, for instance, I mean, he went up against the first team. Yeah, and he he played more snaps than any other quarterback. And uh, you know, I was looking at the stats, and first they list Mock. Now he's like six for twelve with seventy seven yards and a touchdown. Oh, okay, there you go. And then I looked at Locke, and it's like uh, 9 for 13, 177 yards and two touchdowns. You're like, Jesus Christ. And then you – then like Dave, uh, David Morris from the Tribune was – Morrison was stacking up the – I'm terrible with names if you guys hadn't figured that out by now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. <laughs> he started uh, listing the stats you know, for the total of the three scrimmages, and Locke's numbers were just like – it wasn't even close. He's hands down been the most efficient quarterback that the Tigers have on the roster. Well, the numbers in 
in and of themselves have gotten the media going in the scrimmages, but the coaches who see a lot more than we do during everyday practices, they got the mock talk, lock talk, hot, mock clock talk going. Yeah. Easy for you to say. Um, he, uh, they got it going even more by putting him in more. And, you know, yeah. the fact that he was getting, like you said, those snaps that, uh, you know, you would not expect your fourth string red shirt kid to be getting. <laughs> Well, and shows that there's a good chance that they they're seeing it every day, and they're going to do something with this kid. Well, and I think you could. I mean, the media, um, you know, sorry, prof- Eddie Prince. Yeah, the professional media, um, who are not us, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, they were. While the questions about uh, Locke and earlier on had been more, you know, hey, what do you think of the kid's performance? It looked pretty good. By the end of the search scrimmage, even the media who really handles Gary Pinkle with kid gloves even started to press the subject like, is this kid going to redshirt? I mean, basically the tone was, you're seeing this, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so um, – and uh, it's not just the fans like us who you know get excited about uh, his play. I mean the, the – like I said, quote-unquote professionals are getting to a point where they're in their, their uh, articles are writing, you know, this kid is good. He needs to play. He needs to be part of this team right away, despite the fact that, like I said, the smart money would be to redshirt him. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, yeah, and I think the prevailing wisdom is that uh, play him now if he's your best chance or if he and Mock are or some combination of that. And you can't coach for, like, 2018. You have to coach for no, this year. Absolutely. It's, it's, Who knows? He may be drafted. Well, I, I think I tweeted it um, earlier this week. I mean, sports is a meritocracy, and ultimately I don't care if you know, Mock's a junior or how many starts he's had. If the best quarterback on the team is Drew Locke, then Drew Locke plays. That's right. You know, and, it, and it's it's important to know one more than Gary Pinkle and the rest of the coaching staff that they win. And if he's the best chance to win, their, their job literally depends on it. So the guy needs to play fucking football. Well, and like you said, the media is circling their wagons around this story. And they were asking Coach Pinkle after the scrimmage in his post-scrimmage press conference. And the first few questions Coach Pinkle deflected as he is so artful at doing with one of these answers. Um, you know, I there were some good things and there were some things we need to improve on. Okay, that's every day, ever, ever. For, that's the answer to every question you could ask. But finally, there was a question: if this was the toughest quarterback decision-making process he'd ever gone through, and this is what he said: uh, I don't know. I've been doing this so long. You know, I, it's a constant evaluation. I mean, this isn't about a scrimmage or a play. This is about the day they get in here and you know, these last, you know, all these practices that we've had. So, you know, these these things have been, are, are very well thought out to this point. Um, you know, certainly, I've been faced with decisions like this a lot in my career, you know, so very similar. Um, but, uh, you know, that's what we do. And ultimately, it's, it's real simple. You do what the best thing is for your football team. Thanks, asshole, and that's the you do. you do what's best for your football team. And uh, that's pretty you know, That's pretty easy to do when, you, that's, the, when that's the parameters you're, you're working with. So, the, yeah, the first thing I learned from that is that he shouldn't do press conferences from an overpass on I-70. <laughs> well, he didn't throw cold water on any of it. That's, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, his final answer was you do what's best for the football team. And, and I that's think that's right. like, what you're saying. I mean, it's a meritocracy. Mm-hmm. If it truly is what's best for the football team, I would hope Gary Pinkle would see that, understand it, and do it. And I honestly believe that he would. And if he really believes Matty Mock is the best quarterback, that's who he'll play. But I find it hard. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. With Drew Locke's performance so far, that that... To me, at worst, Drew Locke is a lateral move. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, and, and truthfully, if that's what Derry Pinkle believes, that they are basically neck and neck, then Matty Mock is probably going to get the nod just based on experience. But if, if um, Drew Locke is 1% better, that's 1% Better more, football team. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what you do. You, 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 know, you don't get better 
by leaps and bounds every year. You get better by small percentiles, and if that small percentile's name is Drew Locke, then put that kid in the game. Well, I think his answer left doors open, and that leaves us to assume that he is seeing this and that is what you're saying is true. And my favorite part of the answer was the beginning. Uh. <laughs> so I can imagine Coach saying that in several situations. Coach, somebody put diesel in your Harley instead of gasoline. Uh. <laughs> um, I feel like the other the drop you have ready with Pinkle Lance, we get that ready to go. Okay. Um, Coach Pinkle, uh, you made sweet, passionate, yet tender love to your wife last night. How do you feel like that went? Um, you know, I there were some good things, and there were some things we need to improve on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say upon completion? Uh. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I'm excited about Drew Locke. Um, I'm very excited just because it, when you have a transcendent player, and maybe he's not, and you know, that's the fan of me hoping that he is. When you have a transcendent player, he can make your team, you know, take it to another level. And, uh, you know, for those of you that are old enough to remember when Peyton Manning was in college, you know, he did that for Tennessee. Tennessee, you know, won an SEC championship, and he, he elevated that team leaps and bounds. And I'm not saying that Drew Locke is Peyton Manning, so don't tweet me and jam it up my butt about it. But I'm just saying that if you've got a player that, that is that good, you know, God damn it, get him on the field. I sure hope he's doing car commercials someday. Yeah, absolutely. I want that guy to be making out with Papa John every weekend. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but the devil on my other shoulder here about this situation is Maddie Mox a junior, and I think we could be witnessing the planting of a seed of a con- quarterback controversy now because it's it's all well and good this year when we play Drew Locke. So, so imagine what Maddie Mox is going to think if we have a – insurmountable lead against SEMO uh, next week. Mm-hmm. And the first team comes out and they put in the scrub players and the second teamers and Drew Locke goes on the field and the Faroe field crowd goes wild mm-hmm. for Drew Locke. What can Matty Mock be thinking about that? Because honestly, it's not an indictment of Matty Mock. It's just excitement yeah. for the new kid. Well, you know, I think that will tell you a lot, Brendan, because I think last year, you know, I think this year, if Matty Mock gets a hangnail and has to come, come out for two plays, he may never see the field again. Mm-hmm. But if you remember last year, even in blowouts, Pinkle would not put Eddie Prince in because I don't think he wanted in any way to create a quarterback controversy. I don't think he wanted to put any pressure on Mock. But, but at the same time, Eddie feels, Prince is no Drew Locke. Exactly, but if Drew Locke is what we believe him to be, then I don't think um, Pinkle will be scared at all to give him snaps, especially if he's not going to redshirt him. I mean, because mm-hmm. if you don't redshirt him, you absolutely have to give him some playing time. Yeah, otherwise now, what I hate about waste. that is I do not want a two-quarterback system. I think no. that's awful. I think it's bad for the team. You know, you got to have a one-quarterback. You know, I've heard people talking about this. Was this, I'm getting bad with names, Xander, or whatever the hell other, like the fifth-string quarterback is, who's supposed to be very mobile. Mm-hmm. And they talked about having him play read option. And, like, why? You know, just leave him on the bench where he belongs. If you got – you want to do read option, Matty Mock's pretty mobile. Why, if, you, if you've got read option in the playbook, then Matty Mock is more than capable of doing that. Do you think if um, with the comfort level in Drew Locke, they're more um, inclined to use Matty Mock and run situations where they may last year have been afraid of some sort of injury, even if it's an insignificant injury? Oh, I, I would say that based on Drew Locke's play, if they had, uh, if there was any trepidation about using him in the design run department mm-hmm. as a quarterback, there's zero now. They're like, fuck it, just run him headlong into the defense, and if he gets hurt, hey, we got the golden boy back here. Well, what I was getting at with my fear of quarterback controversy is this year we used Drew Locke in whatever situational times to get some playing time in because we burned his red shirt. Next year he's a sophomore mock as a senior and then you're just going to use him the exact same way a second year i mean it seems like a it's going to seem like a waste unless roles reverse and then mocks on the bench um and drew lock is the starter what's going to happen i mean i feel like the true quarterback controversy would spring is going to spring up next year if we burn the red shirt well listen year. honestly i don't think i think if we t- touched on it last week i i think if they're gonna pull mock it's it's really the easiest time to do it is now because now you're pulling a junior quarterback who didn't have a great I just don't season see last that year. Happening, you know. I know, I know, but I'm saying, but how much easier is it to pull a junior who didn't have a se- great season last year than it is to pull a senior who may have had a really good season? Yeah, it, you know what? This is all Locke's fault because yeah, being so damn good. If you were just if you were just okay or pretty good, he'd have a red shirt and we wouldn't be talking about it. But now uh, the cool mock lock talk has turned into red hot piping hot mock lock piping hot hot takes. It, it has indeed. Um, I mean, it's it's 
an embarrassment of riches kind of problem. Yeah, I feel like Eddie Prince ultimately could start for a couple SEC schools right now. Yeah, and I meant to say that. I mean, no short change to Eddie Prince, who himself has looked good in camp. It's not that he is a poor quarterback. Um, It's just, you know, Matty Mock is the experienced quarterback who's a proven winner, and then Drew Locke seems like the golden child by all accounts. So Eddie Prince is kind of left out in the cold, and then you've got guys like Xander and and Burkstresser, who's basically accepted his role as sort of the Rudy of the team. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And yeah, um, he's he's actually just on the team to towel Drew Locke off after a shower. I mean, that's his I, role I know you're team. jealous of him. <laughs> well, I applied for the job. <laughs> just to put it that way. They said, we've got a guy. He's already on the roster. His name's Burkstresser. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I mean, we're going to find out the answer to these questions very rapidly. I mean, like I said, next week, um, if, if well, Monday we're going to find out what the depth chart looks like. And if Drew Locke doesn't have a red shirt, um, and you know they don't have to pull it this week, but if they were going to not red shirt him, I would assume they'd do it right now. It's nice to have all this information, but and the reason I say that is because I was listening to Feinbaum on Friday, and a Mizzou fan called in and basically was saying, you know, they're talking about this and that and the other, and he was basically bringing up stats from the scrimmages, how many sacks had been given, how many touchdowns had been scored, and like, and Feinbaum goes. Where were you at when the scrimmage was going on? He's like, well, I was in class. He's like, well, how do you know all this? He's got, there seems like a ton of information coming out of Mizzou camp all week. And mm-hmm. I don't know if the other SEC schools don't do that. I mean, but, you know, our press, at least for the scrimmages, has full access and breaks down the statistics in detail for us, mm-hmm. which awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like we've gotten a pretty – especially considering the fact that we only see the scrimmages. You know, yeah. the, the camp itself is closed to the public. So um, the other thing I'll say about camp is – Last year, I felt like we left camp not very confident. Um, the offense wasn't ve- doing very well. Mock looked really rough. A lot of the talk was about how he was doing this, the problematic things he actually did do during the season, which is turn us back to the, uh, the line, off of scrimmage, and, yeah. line of scrimmage and, and not step forward in the pocket and those sort of things. We saw that a lot in camp. And this year, we're not hearing about that kind of stuff. We're hearing about the positives, how we got all these young players, but they really found their roles and are accepting them. How the offense looks like they're clicking along, how the problem areas in the defense have found people to fill holes. I mean, I, I, I hope it's not false confidence, but I'm walking into the season with a little bit of confidence. Well, the coaches, I almost feel like every time I hear one of them interviewed, whether it be Coach Hill or Pinkle or whomever, is that they, they almost are like trying to throw cold water on it, but they, you really feel like they are trying to play the cards close to their vest, but it's hard for them to hide their enthusiasm. Like. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know you're going to get this the box dinner coach speak ultimately, but what they really think is we're going to be fucking good. <laughs> we're going to turn the SEC on its ear once again. Um, you know, I think there's some good things and there's some things we need to improve on. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's that's Pinkle excited. Yeah, that's him. I mean, and I I've heard Andy Hill a couple times um, since camp started, and he is, you know, he can't do anything but compliment the kid because the kid's done nothing but warrant compliments. But he's mm-hmm. also trying to you know trying to get people to reel it back, but at the same time you can hear the excitement in his own voice, and not just about Drew Locke, but about the receivers. And I think that's one position group in particular that I feel like there's a lot of excitement about mm-hmm. it within Faroe Field, within the the coaching staff. They, they, they don't want to toot the horn about it because they want to, like I said, play those cards close to their vest. But I feel like there's some confidence that these kids are going to maybe shock some people. Yeah, I hope so. And, and I do think there's been a big improvement and maturity growth from – the spring game we saw back in April. The spring game, I mean, I didn't give it too much credence because it's the spring game, but I was a little bit concerned after watching. I mean, it was as boring a game mm-hmm. as you could watch. I mean, the defense dominated. There wasn't much on offense to even get excited about. Drew Locke didn't even play. Got excited about Harold Brantley. Yeah, no kidding. But, <clears throat> man, all this Drew Locke talk's got me. I'm kind of sweating. Yeah? Getting, getting Ooh, a little hot. Yeah, no, I'm getting <laughs> got in the vapors. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't just Drew and Locke that were, um, you know, the focus of the attention this week. Uh, the rest of the, the field was playing out. But I feel like we've covered a lot of that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Marcel Frazier and Charles Harris, I think, have locked down the defensive end positions, which make me feel much more confident because certainly after the dismissal of Marcus Loud, um, we didn't know who was going to be at one of those ends. Yeah, I I also have um, heard – I don't even know if there was a chance for uh, Terry Beckner Jr. to redshirt, but um, any chance that that would have happened, I guess, has been um, 
eliminated by his play. I guess he's looked mm-hmm. pretty good. I, yeah, I heard Mike Armand's kid on the radio the other day, and he said that Terry Wagner Jr. looks very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't uh, know that I trust his judgment, but I hope he's right. Yeah, sure. And then, but uh, and Josh Augusta has, by all accounts, shed some of that weight that has been a problem, and has been really strong in mm-hmm. practices. So everybody. Unless people are blowing smoke up our ass, but I don't really have any reason to think that they are because, you know, there, there's enough people around. If there were problems, they would be pointed out. Well, and that's, that's you know, the Bill Conleys, the David Morrisons, the uh, Joel Wall Jaspers of the world, the, even the, the Dave Matters. I mean, they all seem to be saying the same things. You mm-hmm. know I mean? It's, it looks really good, and um, there's very little to say otherwise. And, uh, you know, again, we don't, we aren't in the meetings. We don't get to see the practices, but everything we're, we're shown is extremely positive. And, you know, it's hard to think that anything but positive things are going to happen when all, when all signs point to good. go. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, but camp is camp. And next week we will be playing SEMO and we're going to get live feedback in front of a, you know, hopefully at least half full for O field to see this game. And uh, we're going to see for, you know, put to the test some of these theories that we've been postulating over the course of the last month. And I'm excited to do it. And we're going to take a break here. And uh, speaking of SEMO, we do have a special guest this week. Um, SEMO's head coach, Coach Took, joined us earlier. And uh, we asked him some questions about SEMO because I don't know about you, Colin. I did not know. I knew it was in Cape Girardeau, and that was the extent of my football information on SEMO. Until it was on our schedule, I didn't know the fucking school existed. So sure. that's the extent of my knowledge with SEMO. So I'm, uh, I was uh, happy to hear from Coach Took. We're glad to have Coach Took with us and talk to us a little bit about what his expectations are for next week. Until then, this is the Mazzotcast. throw that used cell phone away sell it to midmo ifix midmo ifix buys and sells used cell phones that include a 30-day warranty so if you lost your phone overboard the screen's cracked or the phone's broken stop into midmo ifix and see kevin and if you have no use for that old phone turn it into cash midmo ifix located next to emo's pizza on osage beach parkway 573-694-8795 midmo ifix phones fixed fast Now back to the Chloe Kardashian of podcasts, the Mazad Cast. With us now is the second-year head coach of the SEMO Redhawks, Coach Took, as uh, as his fans and the uh, and the SEMO folks know him. Thanks for joining us, Coach. I appreciate that. I got a really long last name of Tukowitz, so I try to short that bad boy in to just Coach Took. Well, it sure helps me. That's for sure. <laughs> So we wanted to have you on the show because, um, like I told you off air, not a lot of the Missouri folks know too much about the SEMO going into next week's game. And so I just wanted to ask you, you know, we're a week away. What can uh, Tiger fans expect to see when uh, SEMO rolls into Columbia? Well, we're a program that hasn't had a lot of success. If you look at over the years, uh, we've only had uh, three winning seasons the past 20 years. So we're, we're a program that's, uh, you know, trying to break through. This will be our second season. And um, last year, really, we had a record-breaking year. You know, it's the first time in school history we beat two top 25 programs. And we had the highest-ranked victory uh, in 110 years. Uh, number three team in, in southeast Louisiana would beat at home. Um, so we ended up 5-7, and seven, very good quality wins, but uh, ended up not being able to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So that kind of leads us into this year. You know, we have some good players, um, you know, no matter what level you'd be at. Uh, we got a, uh, a receiver named Paul McRoberts, who is a guy that a lot of NFL scouts have come to see. Um, we got um, an All-American kicker uh, who's kicked it from 55 um, and had a lot of success last year. Bring back an all-conference running back, and we bring an all-conference uh, middle linebacker back, uh, Roper Garrett. Mm-hmm. And Michael Jackson is our running back. Okay, yeah. And I, I, you mentioned um, the improved season you had last year, and I saw there was a string of three and nine seasons going into last year, and and you uh, started off the season red hot, like you said, those big wins. 
and uh, even got a, a you were ranked number 23 in the FCS at one point before you had the, the slide at the end of the season. So uh, Yeah, exactly. So we were, about the time we figured out how to play, we played so hard that we got hurt ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's been a major goal of ours is, is to try and stay healthy, um, and, and we've been able to do that. We come out of camp, and we haven't had any season-ending injuries, so mm-hmm. feel good about that. Well, it looked like um, when you were um, having trouble, it looked like it, you were giving up a lot of points. Was it Were the injuries on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, they're all over, but we were definitely riddled on defense. Uh, we ended up losing seven starters on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that just – obviously our roster isn't what it uh, should be because we're, we're still building this thing. We've only had it um, – at that point, one recruiting class. So when they started going down, there just there wasn't a lot there. Had well, a really good uh, recruiting class last year. Brought in some junior college players. We we have a little more depth, and we can hopefully hold up if we do have a couple of those injuries. Sure. Well, one of the games last year that caught my interest is you played University of Kansas, and out here in Columbia, we don't care for those Jayhawks too much. And it looks like you almost uh, pulled off a big win, which we would have been highly in favor of yeah well, well us too we uh, ended up kicking an onside to, to be able to have the ball to go down and score and don't end up getting the onside and i guess the game's over but we certainly um come out of that game with confidence and i think if you talk to the people at ku you know uh they remember zemo because we uh kind of earned their respect i'm sure yeah and you know, that leads us into this coming season, and obviously uh, it would be no surprise to you that uh, the Tigers are heavily favored. What do you do with your team going into a game like that where you're playing against an opponent who um, who appear, you know, the reigning SEC East champion and, and the odds makers have them heavily favored? How is that different than any other game, or is it? Well, fortunately, we're a process-driven program. You know, we try to get our kids' eyes off the scoreboard and onto just what it takes to play good football. So we don't make it a goal. Um, and so whether we win this game or lose this game, the things that we can control, we want to do a good job controlling. And if we do control those, you know, at the end of the day, all you can do is all you can do. So we're going to do our best to forget the rest. If our, good, if our best ain't good enough, then it ain't good enough. But really, that's all anybody can bring. So those are the things we're going to talk about. Are there any uh, matchups um, against Missouri that you see that might uh, benefit you all, that uh, weaknesses on, on one side of the ball or another that you might be able to exploit? No. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it certainly is just a, a different level of football. So, you know, what might be a weakness there is still, you know, pretty imposing to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just, we're just going to go up there and give it everything we got, and we'll see what it uh, looks like at the end of the day. Certainly. I noticed as well, you uh, in your career, you spent a number of years serving as an assistant for Jerry Kill, and of course, yeah. um, his Minnesota team last year was the was the last team to face the Missouri Tigers in the Citrus Bowl uh, this January. I was wondering if you had spoken to Coach Kill and if you guys had talked over this Missouri game and if he'd given you any pointers about what they might look like. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're close. I'm close with a lot of those assistants. His daughter got married July, and I was there. We talked. And- you know, basically the advice he gave me was duck. <laughs> so, you know, um, but it's certainly good to just have somebody that played him. You can ask ask questions and those type of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm familiar with Missouri myself because um, I was at that defense coordinator in Toledo, uh, not this last year, obviously, but two years before when we came to Columbia. Mm-hmm. So I've at least played in the stadium and, and mm-hmm. those type of things. Sure. Uh, do you know Coach Pinkle at all? Uh, I don't. Okay. I know he's got Toledo roots himself, so I didn't know if there was overlap. Yeah, yeah obviously, uh, you know, we, we missed each other, but, you know, they are very good to us. They allow us to come to their their uh, prospect camps, and so, you know, I'm very thankful of that. And, you know, we're trying to be in Missouri. We're trying to have the kind of consistency that they've been able to have. Right, yeah, and, and you're in the Ohio Valley Conference, and uh, – Tough conference play in for FCS. I know a uh, team out of Jacksonville was very strong last year. Um, yeah. Do you uh, do you feel like uh, coming out of a season last year where you all improved that uh, you are in good position to maybe uh, make some headway in the, in the conference this season? 
Yeah, you know, from an expectation standpoint, you know, I want to be relevant. The OBC, if we're playing for games that matter in November, then you've had a really good year, mm-hmm. and that's the goal. Sure. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on with us, Coach. Uh, wish you good luck this season, and uh, hopefully you have a good outing uh, when you come into town and enjoy Columbia. And, and I, I can't go so far as to say uh, I hope you get a win, but uh, <laughs> but I certainly hope you have a great season. Good thing is we don't believe in luck. <laughs> We're going to just go to, go to work and let, let the chips fall. Well, you got to respect that. Well, thank you very much, Coach Tuke, and uh, it's good having you on, and, and uh, wish SEMO the best, not of luck, thank but you. the best you can do. All right. So that's Coach Tuke. Um, microphone issues. Joel, get that behind the glass there, would you? Idiot. So <laughs> good, to have, uh, good to have Coach Tuke on to tell us a little bit about SEMO. Yeah, you can tell he's not an SEC coach because he was so forthcoming. Right. He's just so honest, and uh, he was uh, very, very uh, – you know, realistic with his analysis. I, I, when we, when you, you know, we talked about Gary Pinkle earlier. When you're so used to Gary Pinkle's answers, <laughs> um, you know, I there were some good things, and there were some things we need to improve on. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's to hear a guy just be so forthcoming and uh, and uh, I don't just honest about where his program's at and what he expects out of this game is is kind of refreshing. Yeah, sounds like a really nice guy. Really, kind of just a really salt of the earth good guy. Yeah, and you know, we have taken the opportunity uh, last season certainly to dump on some of our opponents, but uh, I don't feel like it's an appropriate thing to do against an FCS team where no. we're expected to win heavily. Well, he obviously sounds a little bit more—I don't know—a uh, little friendlier, a little more uh, gregarious than, say, Steve Spurrier, right? Who's who's you know horrible, horrible, horrible person, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, other than on Saturday, I hope SEMO does well yeah. for any of those Missouri teams. Yeah, absolutely. If if they win every single game except for this one, I would be tickled to death. Right, yeah. So, anyway, uh, so, so I guess, I mean, I don't have anything else to say about SEMO, I'll be honest. Yeah, it sounds like they've got a couple of decent ball players, but it's, uh, you know, Mizzou's talent is going to be probably overwhelming. Yeah, I think for us it's basically going to be an exhibition for uh, to see how far we've come along with our young players. It'll be exciting for us to see some of these players we've heard a little bit about and uh, actually see them in action. Uh, really just see like who is going to be the starting wide receivers, who mm-hmm. is going to be the starting yeah, defensive the... ends, who are going to be, you know, who's going to play where and when and how much. So And then after that, you know, will that change going into the week after? Sure. So um, given that, I think it's time we go into one of the more important parts of the show. It's Kansas news. Flyless. Heard there were three kinds of suns in Kansas. Sunshine, sunflowers, sons of bitches. This is Kansas news. Well, Colin, our first story today. Federal jury finds Kansas man was not war hero he claimed to be. So, a federal jury Thursday found Junction City, Kansas man who stole his father's identity to apply for a loan to buy a $490,000 house guilty. Goddamn. <laughs> that buys a lot of house in Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the governor's mansion, possibly. <laughs> Matthew Williams, 47, Junction City, Kansas, was convicted of one count of bank fraud and one count of aggravated identity theft. That's not a double wide, Brennan. That's a modular home. <laughs> it is indeed. I don't know what aggravated identity theft is. Um... Is that identity theft when really angry? I guess. Uh, During trial, prosecutors presented evidence that Williams filled out a loan application with Pulaski Bank using his father's name, Social Security number, and other identifying information in an attempt to get a bank loan uh, for a house in Shawnee, Kansas. Williams was in bankruptcy proceedings at the time. The government presented Shocking. (laughs) The government presented evidence that Williams claimed to be an Army veteran and recipient of the Purple Heart Award for Valor in Vietnam. He's age 47. In, <laughs> in fact, William's father, Earl, fought in both Vietnam and Desert Storm and earned a Purple Heart, as well as other commendations. Sentencing will be set for later date. He faces a maximum of 30 years in federal prison and a fine up to $1 million for bank fraud and a penalty of two years uh, consecutive to any other sentence for the identity theft charge. So sounds like an upstanding guy. Yeah, um, he's a, thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah, he was a he was a battle hardened six year old mm-hmm. taking on the Viet Cong. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He deserves that governor's mansion right. trailer. So uh, let's see what else we have here. Kansas white supremacist killer admits, "I hate Jews." <laughs> what, 
<laughs> what was he supposed to admit? I know. He, he is I known think, as the white supremacist killer. <laughs> I feel like the story would have only been as, I love Jews. You know, I mean, that yeah. would have been a shocking yeah. turn of events. Yeah, man eats dog. Um, <laughs> so, a uh, white supremacist charged with killing three people outside of two Jewish centers in Kansas last year asked a jury on Friday to find him not guilty because he was acting on the belief that Jews have too much power and must be stopped. <laughs> well, well, if that's not good enough reason, then what is, Brennan? <laughs> that's a sound defense, I guess. Um, <laughs> Who the fuck was... <laughs> who's his lawyer? <laughs> yeah, I Saul Goodman. Frazier Glenn Cross, age 74, a former senior member of the Ku Klux Klan. Sh- shocking. Uh, who's, former member. Get this, Colin. Who is representing himself at trial. <laughs> now, there's your argument, Brendan. There's, there's why that argument was so strong. Uh, yeah. Could be sentenced to uh, be convicted in the April 2014 shootings in Overland Park, Kansas. He's also charged with an attempted murder of three others. Cross has pleaded not guilty to all charges. He, attempt, or he admitted to jurors on Friday that he did kill a man, woman, and teenage boy and tried to kill more people during the shooting spree on the eve of the Jewish Passover holiday. None of the victims were actually Jewish. But Cross did not know this. Well, it wasn't Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting thing is that he hates them so much, but he can't tell them apart from anyone else. Yeah. Um, he's, so it says um, he believes Jews have committed genocide against white people. Um, I think Jews are I think white people. I think he, right? Maybe he has kind dyslexia. I believe I that's kind of the, the, the genocide may have gone the other way. I yeah, believe the white people. Yeah, I'm going to say that uh, – when it comes to genocide, Jews might be on the, the short end of that stick. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, genocide against white people and control both the media and Wall Street to the detriment of white Americans. Well, I don't disagree with any of that. All right, we'll strike that from the record. <laughs> um, I had no criminal intent. I had patriotic intent to stop genocide against my people, said Cross, who is also known as Glenn Miller of, of musical fame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, seated on the witness stand, Cross described himself as a husband and father. He said in the days before committing the murders, he researched what he sees as the demise of the white race and decided to take action. Now, Brendan, I don't know many Jews, mm-hmm. but the few that I do know mm-hmm. strike me as just about the whitest people I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, this, is, this is strange. Well, I don't know that this guy is what you call uh, perfectly sane <laughs> or reasonable. <laughs> you know, it strikes me as crazy. It's like these nutballs want to represent themselves like mm-hmm. – I haven't been to law school. I am mm-hmm. not a lawyer, but I'm going to assume Shocking. I can't do it. <laughs> you right. know what I mean, like without some sort of formal training, I wouldn't. This guy would not try to perform open heart surgery on himself. So, mm-hmm. but but you know, the law I got that. You think this guy's going to make really good decisions about his legal um, <laughs> defense? Let's see. Here's the money quote: "I hate Jews." Cross said, "They are the ones who destroy us." If convicted in the second phase of trial next week, it will determine if he should be executed. I feel like he should be talking about cancer, not Jewish people. <laughs> Cancer's a bigger problem. Well, anyway, um, pretty, pretty standard issue Kansas stuff. Uh, but we have another story for you. Kansas man sentenced for photographing in bathrooms. Olathe, Kansas, a 39-year-old registered sex offender, faces nearly three years in prison for photographing women in a bathroom at Johnson County Community College. Uh, Savant Noy Bandieth of Lenexa, Kansas, pleaded guilty in July to three felony counts of invasion of privacy. The Kansas City Star reports that the judge sentenced him to 17 months in prison for the first count and nine and eight months for the others. Campus police arrested him on April 27th after a woman noticed him using a cell phone to photograph her inside the restroom in Overland Park, Kansas. It wasn't Campus. very discreet then. <laughs> no, cell phone. You know, use better. Use even better the sound equipment. on so you could hear the. <laughs> <laughs> I say use better equipment if you're going to commit a crime. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, his arrest in April came after a, a month after he was released from prison. He was in prison last year after his probation was revoked for failing to complete sex of- offender treatment in a quote unquote sexually motivated burglary. Sexually I, I, motivated burglary. I don't know that to. Um... You can explain crazy, but with the um, with pornographic uh, materials being so pervasive on the internet, I really feel like the, the uh, there's not really a necessity to go out and you know <laughs> do it yourself. Sort of, this is not a DIY kind of. No, there's plenty out there. DIY that kind of. I mean, I haven't uh, looked, but I've heard that there's plenty of well, pornography and, available. You know, like like each their own, but watching uh, 
people take a whiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just doesn't get me off. I don't tell you. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I want to go back to that uh, sexually motivated burglary. What is that? Does that mean he's stealing dildos? <laughs> yeah, I think it means he's burgling with dildos. Yeah, sorry, Jimmy's the window open, <laughs> threatening. <laughs> Picks locks with little narrow ones. Mm-hmm. In case anybody didn't know, that's the sound of a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> Spot on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, final story. Wichita woman arrested after boyfriend stabbed in the buttocks. <laughs> Wichita, Kansas. This could be talking about the, the guy's prison. Yeah, it's possibly the same thing. A 37-year-old man is in stable condition after Wichita police say his girlfriend stabbed him and broke his pelvic bone. The Wichita, e- yeah. Wichita Eagle reports officers responded to a house around 11.50 p.m. Friday where police say a man told them his 24-year-old girlfriend stabbed him in the buttocks during an argument. Interesting was she aiming for the buttocks, or did he run away? Yeah, I, I need answers. Sergeant Brian Sigmund said the man was stabbed with such force that his pelvic bone was broken. The man was transported to a local hospital for treatment. The suspect was arrested for suspicion of aggravated battery. <laughs> Damn, who's his girlfriend? Randall Rousey? Jeez, Louise. He broke his pelvis by stabbing him. That's quite a stabbing. What, yeah. what kind of knife were we up against? I don't know. I assume every Kansas resident is issued a... Uh, Rambo-style Bowie knife at, at birth. So I, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Whenever we come across these stories, I'm always shocked that there was no gun involved. Yeah, I think that's a that's a coup for Kansas. Every Kansan is heavily armed. Well, we know that. And so when when you get stabbed, you really consider yourself lucky. Yeah, I, this guy should be thinking his lucky stars. Yeah. So uh, Kansas again, week after week, does not disappoint. Thank you, Kansas. So uh, Colin, I think. You know, we should take another break, and then uh, we've we've had a listener survey out there. We have, and one of the things people have been asking for, begging for, because we've gotten hundreds and thousands of responses. Um, <laughs> they want to hear a little bit more about the teams we play in the SEC. So yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of around the horn with the SEC when we come back. Until then, this is Mazodcast. Job with Icy Hot, the Mazat Cast. So we are back, and as promised, we're going to do a little bit of around the SEC now because everybody wants to hear it. So, are you ready for this, Colin? SEC around the horn. All right, so let's start with the SEC East, Colin, because frankly, you can hear about the SEC West. Anywhere else. <laughs> Everywhere else. So we know a lot about our Tigers, but the other teams going on. Uh, let's start with Georgia because I feel like Georgia is the big opponent in the East this year, as they should have been the last couple of years. But uh, Georgia always tends to fuck themselves up. Yes, they do. They are uh, renowned for shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, Georgia's, you know, everybody knows the name Nick Chubb, uh, especially if you're a Mizzou fan. He ran all over us last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he replaced uh, Todd Gurley, who is now a Oh, St. Louis Ram, and uh, he is a man beast. Uh, but Georgia, if they're going to have a fault or a weakness, it might be at the quarterback position. They really they have not decided who their quarterback is going to be, which is something that that's a, that seems to be a running theme within the yeah, SEC. Yeah, the SEC media doesn't seem to think that's going to bother any team in the West or the East. Is the fact that most of these teams don't really seem to have a front runner for a quarterback. Which you know, again, I'm not a football expert, but no, you are not. Um, it's the most important position on the field, as I've been told. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bryce Ramsey and Grayson Lambert are the two guys slugging it out for that job. And uh, to this point, at least from the research we've done, that nobody seems to have pulled in front. But they're going to have to make a decision at some point. And uh, Coach uh, Rick is going to – when do you make that decision? I mean, we play football next week. Well, from what I've read, Rick seems to indicate that he's going to platoon the quarterbacks. And that, I just don't feel like that ever works. And – I gotta say this about Georgia. I've been hearing a lot of things like on the Feinbaum show. They're, Coach Rick is catching a lot of heat. Um, Georgia has high expectations. It's a very high caliber program. They expect SEC championships. They expect to go to a championship game. I don't know why they never do, but 
that's where the level of expectations are. And there are people calling for Coach Rick's head. You know, if he can't pull out an, at least an East championship this year, I think he might be quite a bit on the hot seat. Yeah, no, no doubt Gary Pinkle and Mizzou has been a real fly in his ointment um, because um, – had it not been Missouri, I mean, it's going to be, have been Georgia, and uh, but it's been Missouri. Yeah. And, uh, if <laughs> if uh, Missouri, you know, does it again, which you know, I feel like there's a real chance, despite what the SEC media would have you believe, there's a real chance Missouri could do it again. That could cost him his job. Indeed, yeah. I mean, Missouri, in a lot of ways, could uh, determine his fate. Another team uh, in the East that uh, is giving it a tremendous amount of publicity is the Tennessee Volunteers, who, despite not having any real success for several, several years, are picked to do great things this season. They're, yeah, they're expected to win the Intergalactic Championship this year. <laughs> yeah, they're taking on the Klingons for interstellar dominance, and, and uh, the, they're led by a Klingon <laughs> named the, Joshua Dobbs. <laughs> yes, the eyebrowless wonder. Uh, interesting thing about that is a lot of the SEC media think that they're going to beat Missouri this year because of the play of Joshua Dobbs, who, if I recall played Missouri last year and did not win in their friendly confines at yeah. Tennessee. Got a mud hole stomped in him and walked dry yeah. by uh, the Missouri Tigers. And uh, I I mean, he is a tremendous athlete, and nobody's arguing that. And he's – I can't help t- tell you how many times I've been told he's a, like aeronautics, space aeronautics major, some crazy, mm-hmm. you know, highly intelligent major. And they're like, oh, this guy's so smart. He's so athletic. And, well, until he does something worthy of uh, – Football praise, I'm going to hold back. I mean, they scored a lot of points coming into the Missouri game in the in the previous matchups they'd had. And I remember when Tennessee came in to play Missouri that the talk was, it's like, oh, this offense is really rolling because of Joshua Dobbs. And they looked not good against Missouri, and Joshua Dobbs looked not good. And I can't – I don't know what happened in this offseason that means Joshua Dobbs suddenly walks on water. Granted, Butch Jones has had a couple of two or three really stellar recruiting classes in a row, but until those recruits turn into results, um, I am going to reserve my judgment. And the fact of the matter is, um, one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing is early on in the season, Tennessee is going to take on Oklahoma. Yeah, and I really feel like there's a good chance that Oklahoma could absolutely thump, uh, thump their tub and just take a big steamy hot crap right on top of their season yeah and uh, you know part of me is really kind of rooting for that because yeah, i don't i, don't I would like to temper the enthusiasm of these tennessee okay. fans who want to just hand them the trophy it's hard to imagine a scenario where i'm going to be rooting for oklahoma but i think in that week i will absolutely be rooting for oklahoma yes and they're hardened criminals that bob stoops puts on the field <laughs> yeah. and you know it's it's amazing that oklahoma hasn't changed from the maroon uniforms just the, the orange jumpsuit it would be so mm-hmm. much more convenient they're going to eventually wear those anyway <laughs> exactly exactly I feel like, uh, but yeah, Butch Jones, hey, he's a great recruiter, but I don't think he's proved that he's a good coach. And uh, especially at the college level, coaching is so important. I mean, I think Gary Pinkle proves that year in and year out, um, despite not having the Alabama-esque talent, he gets the most out of those kids. He's a tremendous coach, and I don't think anybody can argue that. And I don't know that Butch Jones has proven that yet. No, and I hope he doesn't do it this year. No, I, I don't honestly expect him to. And and like I said, Joshua Dobbs, I am not a believer. I think he's a run-first quarterback, and that's going to win some games because he, he is good, but uh, you're going to run into teams who um, are going to find a way to snuff that out. A team like Missouri, for instance, whose defense is extraordinarily fast, you know, they Missouri's got plenty of guys that can chase down a guy like Joshua Dobbs, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know. I don't see it for Tennessee either, um, and that's maybe well, that's just the Mizzou fan of me, but... Talking about Kentucky, this is another program that Kentucky is historically bad, and we usually count them as a win, but they, they're improving um, by all accounts, and so um, they may be one of those teams that sneak up on some people this season. Yeah, they had some close games. In fact, they should have beat Louisville last year when they did the Battle of State. I remember watching that game and being so frustrated with Kentucky because I wanted Kentucky to be uh, bowl eligible. And uh, if had they beat Louisville, they would have been. And really, if some Kentucky wide receivers hadn't just inexplicably dropped balls right in their breadbasket, they would have won that football game. And uh, if Kentucky has um, some hope, it's that uh, they have a returning starter at quarterback, like, like so few SEC teams do. Right, uh, Patrick Tolls. He is a he's he's a competent quarterback, and if he progresses, takes a few steps forward, you know, Kentucky can be competitive. I don't think there's any chance that they win the East, but they could they could. 
you know, a good season for them. Bowl eligibility, you know, I could see that with a returning quarterback. I, you know, the quarterback again, I'm beat it over the head. It's so important, and they've got one. Right, Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri, one of the few teams in the conference who don't have so many question marks at that position. Yeah, um, Vanderbilt, who um, no need to waste a whole lot of time on Bandy. I hate to say that because I, I feel like uh, Mizzou gets the back of the hand a lot, but. Vanderbilt is going to be bad. They always are. And they they have a quarterback. Yeah, uh, and they got they got a three man race for their quarterback. They got uh, a Wade Freeback, uh, Sean Stank Cabbage, which mm-hmm. I will hope he wins just because that's a great name. I would like him to be the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. So we can say Stank Cabbage. Yep, Stank Cabbage for, for seven, mm-hmm. um, for six. Um, anyway, and there's a gentleman named Johnny McRae, and so there's a three man battle for uh, um, quarterback position there. I'm sure all of them, uh, their SAT scores were the highest of any quarterbacks in uh, the SEC, but that doesn't always equate to wins on the field, Brent. You know what? I had a pretty decent ACT score coming out of high school, and I couldn't throw a ball 10 yards. <laughs> Didn't help, huh? It did not. <laughs> so um, that's about all we need to say about Vandy. They will be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, con- congratulations to them for being consistent. Uh, next up is the Florida Gators, another team who perennially gets a lot of press and a lot of optimism because the Gators have had such a storied uh, background and uh, have won a lot of football games. They new coach a, this year. New coach this year. I, you know, I've said before, I, you know, I'm sure he's a better coach than Will Muschamp. It would be hard not to be a better coach than Will Muschamp, but mm-hmm. it's hard for me to believe a program with a brand-new coach can kind of hit the ground running, not hit some bumps in the road. Um, they, again, have a quarterback problem. A uh, quarterback controversy is a problem, but – you know, uh, Will Greer, uh, Tyron Harris. Uh, Trayon Harris. Trayon yeah. Harris. He played against Missouri last year and really wasn't terribly impressive. No, they, they, they basically threw him in because he's a little bit like Joshua Dobbs, a, a great athlete. And um, when uh, the Gators were having so much trouble getting their offensive going, um, they would uh, throw Harris in occasionally and see if he could get something going. But he never did against Missouri. I don't know if he did against anybody else. But um, the fact that he hasn't won the quarterback job outright so far says that he's not that great. But, mm-hmm. again, another – SEC team without a um, without answers at the yeah, position without the answers at the most important position on the field. Mm-hmm. So um, you know the Gators, you know, um, from a recruiting standpoint, they're going to have a lot of high star athletes. Whether the new coach can put it all together, who knows? But it's hard in the first year of a program. Yeah, and with you know, and he didn't recruit a lot of those kids. Do they fit his style of play? I mean, that's something that probably doesn't get talked about enough when they're talking about these new coaches. Is you know. These coaches recruit to match their systems, to match what they're doing. I mean, if, it's, if you're a five-star athlete, you're a five-star athlete, and we want you, regardless mm-hmm. of what we run. But ultimately, you know, everybody can't be a five-star recruit. And so you're running a, you know, you run a two-deep zone, or you run, you're, you're just you man up all the time on the outside, or you run a three-four or a four-three. You're recruiting kids to to fit that uh, that system. And you know, I don't know how much is going to change with a new coach, but it's you know, some of these players are not going to be what he wanted. Yeah. And, you know, Colin, I want to talk a little bit about South Carolina because they are probably the team in the East who have the, who have the most question marks of anybody. Um, I think Missouri might have been that team going into the spring. But I haven't heard anybody who really can say one way or another what South Carolina is going to look like this year. I don't think there's a lot of optimism. Well, you know, we talked about earlier that sometime, during the SEC media days there had been a lot of optimism. You know, there were some people picking them to win That's right. the East, and that has cooled quite a bit um, since the um, scrimmages and camps have started. I haven't heard much of that at all. In fact, um, I think, if anything, uh, South Carolina is now probably looking like they're sucking hind tit. Um, if South Carolina uh, slips into mediocrity, do you think old – the old ball coach Steve Spurrier is going to be forced into retirement. I think they, I, that's what's going to happen. Is it's going to be one of those things. Out of respect, they're going to go to him and be like, "Listen, Steve, mm-hmm. the grass know. is getting tall. Somebody's got to chew it out in the yeah, pasture. You know what? You, we put you out there. <laughs> yeah. You got a job to do, buddy. Mm-hmm. The um, I think they're going to say, "Please step down." I mean, the alternative I, is just to tell him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see Steve Spurrier going out guns blazing and not accepting the you know, they're going to have mm-hmm. to force him out. But ultimately, I think if they don't have a good season, it's time for him to go. Yeah, I mean, nobody's going to argue, as much as I hate Steve Spurrier, that he has been a great college football coach. But the guy's in his 70s. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, a guy like Bill Schneider, who coaches Kansas State at, at an advanced age and is always makes them competitive is the exception and not the rule. Most of these yeah. guys get over the hill at some point. I remember Joe Paterno before all the bad, bad, bad stuff with <laughs> yeah. Joe Paterno. Um, Penn State was flailing a little bit. They pressured Joe Paterno, and he wouldn't step down, and then he kind of turned it around a little bit uh, in his older years. Well, but- and I think as part of the turnaround, if you know, 
based on what I hear, is basically he kind of let back on the reins a little bit, and he really almost just became a figurehead. I mean, there were right. other coaches doing the job, and it, that's not the case with Spurrier at this the point. The hours, the energy level, the 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 effort that goes into being a head coach at the Division One level, especially when you're talking about a program like Penn State, it's hard to believe a guy as old as Joe Paterno plus, could keep it up. Yeah, plus like Razzies don't run really well on AstroTurf. <laughs> it's jazzy. It's a jazzy wheelchair. No, it's not, not a, a jazzy. It's a Razzie. Get your shit together. Oh. But either way, yeah. Well, that you know, that's the truth. For a while, he was up in the booth because he had a broken hip and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it would, if he wasn't so revered before he let um, one of his coach diddle kids, mm-hmm. you know, he would have probably caught a, a lot of heat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, the one thing South Carolina has going for it is they don't have quarterback con- uh, questions. They've got uh, Connor Mitch. He is their um, he's their man. He's going to start. Um, so maybe that is some uh, optimism for Car- uh, South Carolina because you know when so many teams are being picked to be better than them, at least they have a a guy they're ready to go with at quarterback. Yeah, and then let's buzz through the West a little bit because another team that uh, doesn't have a quarterback lockdown is Alabama. Nope. Nick Saban has not named a starting quarterback yet. And unlike uh, teams like Georgia, um, Alabama is going to go come right out of the gate and play Wisconsin. So they need to figure themselves out quick. Well, I will say this about Alabama. If there's one team that I don't worry so much about the quarterback being bad um, or not being decided or what have you, is they may be the only team in the country that has so much talent they can overcome not having a good quarterback. I mean, basically they did it last year. I mean, Ohio State you know, destroyed them, but ultimately they made it to the Sugar Bowl with a wide receiver playing quarterback, you right. know, just based on sure talent. So why a lot of these teams, I feel like without a, you know, a, a great quarterback are probably going to have trouble. Alabama may be the only team on the planet that may be able to overcome that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in the West, um, Auburn may be one of the only teams people consider to uh, challenge Alabama as a contender for the West division. I mean, I think LSU looks good, but they lost so many players to the NFL. Well, well and, and when inexplicably, they want to ignore teams that don't have court, good quarterback play. One of the reasons they always cite with Alabama, or Auburn being ready to, to go is because they have a quarterback, you know, right. an und, und, undisputed quarterback. So, you know, the same reason they're giving Auburn credit is the same, and they just completely ignore it when it's, with other teams. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's uh, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Arkansas is one of those teams that reminds me a lot of Tennessee, where people are giving them a lot of credit even though they haven't done anything yet because they've been recruiting well and they've got a program in place and people seem to love Brett Bielema and his Big Ten style of play. Well, he is he is a uh, – I don't know. He's a, he is a personality. And you can see he's an easy guy to lock it. I mean, I hate to say this because I don't like Arkansas, but if Bielema was our coach, I don't wouldn't have a problem with that. I mean, no, this and his point, wife I is very, like very attractive. Well, for her alone, I wouldn't mind having him in the, mm-hmm. in the fold. But, yeah, I – Again, just like uh, Tennessee's coach, I feel like Malima could be in some hot water, probably not as hot as Tennessee because he hasn't mm-hmm. been there as long, but expectations are super high for Arkansas this year, and they don't have their quarterback situation sorted out yet either. I think their expectations are tempered a little bit, though, because people consider the West to be so strong. You know, If you get your tub thumped by Alabama and Auburn, yeah. then people don't you know grouse about it so much as if Missouri beats Tennessee then everybody sure. in Tennessee can't figure out why that might have ever happened yeah despite the fact that it's happened three years in a row correct um LSU is you mentioned just earlier I think the strange I don't know much about LSU to be perfectly honest but um there seems to be is very divisive about what they're going to be I've seen people say they're going to be you know a front runner for the west and I've seen people go you know expect some hard times for LSU well they're in a position a lot like Missouri where they lost a lot of players and they're you know they have a lot of talent to pick up the slack but you never know how those young guys are going to perform until they actually get out on the field and so I think they are in a situation where they could be good but maybe not they could uh, you know have some lapses as well so um you know, it reminds me a little bit of Texas A&M. I, I, I don't know quite what to expect of Texas A&M this year. Well, um, they are one of the few teams like Missouri who have a quarterback, and uh, that's always good. Their offense at times last year was was good. was mm-hmm. good, and their defense isn't bad. You know, to me, um, uh, A&M should be steady. You know, steady Eddie. I don't feel like they will compete for the West, but I don't feel like they're going to be – getting their tub stump week in and week out either. but uh, I, I do feel like Texas A&M is a program that's perpetually overrated. They're, they're not, they don't win championships. They, you know, they, they did. I think that's the biggest thing with all these SE teams, like Tennessee and stuff. They have rich histories, storied past, but they, it's exactly what the fuck it is. It's the past, man. I, I, but even still, if you compare historically A&M's bowl record and the num- amount of 
you know, uh, division and conference championships that Texas A&M has had compared to a Missouri, they're very equivalent. Now, Texas A&M has more of like, I'd say, a diehard fan base and more traditions. Huge following. But uh, A&M is not a program like Alabama that is is rife with championships. Well, I think if if there's a delusion within the SEC, it is that there's only one Alabama, but there are a lot of teams that think they're Alabama. Right. You know, and um, Alabama has had their hard time just like anybody else. But of all these teams, you know, the the Bear Bryant days, they have – they have consistent. Oh, they've just been great for a long, long time, and they've had their hard times, but they they always seem to bounce back. And it's the only thing going in that whole godforsaken state too. So their following is rabid and yeah. huge. Well, let's talk about the Mississippi schools for a bit because last year was sort of the heyday for both of those. It's probably one of the biggest egg bowls that has ever been. Miss mm-hmm. uh, Bull Miss and Mississippi State had really strong seasons. They both sort of faltered by the end of the year. But I think Ole Miss looks like the stronger team coming out of the West this year. When Missouri was beginning this uh, sojourn to being relevant and being good on a consistent basis, they remind me a little bit what uh, uh, Mississippi State is going through right now. Mississippi State had a great season. They were on the precipice of being in the playoffs. And then they go to the Egg Bowl and just lay an egg. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) And uh, so – and it reminds me of the Missouri days uh, when we were having success in the Big 12 and we'd run into an Oklahoma and, uh, you know, we'd be right on the doorstep of, of, of making history as far as Missouri is concerned. And then we'd shit the bed against an Oklahoma. And I think that's exactly what happened to Mississippi State last year. And I, uh, boy, you know, if you're a betting man, you always want to bet regression. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of feel like regression is the way I would bet on Mississippi State. They've lost a lot of guys, and uh, you know, a lot. Most prognosticators have Mississippi State dead last in the West this year, and which is amazing considering the season they had last year. But uh, you know, it's hard to argue with it when you look at the lineups of these other schools. Yeah, and I hope that's not just us buying into me too SEC because media. we play Mississippi State. Yeah, this because year. you know, maybe they're going to be good, and just because they're Mississippi State and have perennially not been a power in the West, that everybody's just mark. You know, they're treating them like a Missouri. Yeah, they're treating them like they're Mizzou, and uh, that's. I hope they're shit, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I really do. And because Missouri ultimately, um, their record against the West is pretty good on the overall. And right. another and then, win against Mississippi State would be another win in that column. Yeah, and I, I think when you bring that up, a lot of people would say, "Well, Missouri has benefited from playing the lesser teams in the West." Um, and then, of course, when we played Alabama and Auburn in the championship games, well, we there's always a ready-made excuse <laughs> for Missouri. There's always a ready-made excuse, mm-hmm. but there is truth to it. I mean, yeah, we, we we need to beat Alabama. We need, Arkansas. We need to beat Auburn. Not. We beat Arkansas, not Auburn. Yeah, and Arkansas, you know, had a had a so-so year, but we played Arkansas at their pinnacle. Yeah, at the they, height of their powers, they just lambasted LSU, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were riding really high in the saddle when they came to uh, Faroe and got their asses handed to them. Yeah, so anyway. Old Miss is uh, the last team, and I, to be honest, I don't know much about Old Miss. I assume. They're going to be competitive again. They're in better shape than Mississippi State this yeah, year. And, of no, course, Hugh Freeze is praying for them, which is always going to be <laughs> yeah. beneficial. Yeah, the, the, it's rumored that the Pope is actually going to attend several of their games. That surprises me a little bit. I wouldn't <laughs> it's imagine. a wrong religion. Yeah. 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 But anyways, yeah. Yeah, so you know, that's the West. And unlike every other program you're ever going to listen to, we care less about the West. We care more about the East uh, because, God bless them, our Tigers are there. So, um, I mean, that we'll talk a little bit more about each of these SEC, SEC teams as the season goes on, and we learn more about them, certainly, and uh, we kind of figure out where we sit in the, in the mix and where everybody else is going to stack up. So, until then, this has been Around the Horn with the SEC. Colin, I wanted to ask you, going into Saturday's game, uh, I don't think there's going to be a ton of fan enthusiasm. I don't, I don't. I think there might be more than you might think. Well, you know, I think I read something about, from Dave Matter in the Post Dispatch about you know Missouri constantly suffers by having two pro teams on either side of uh, yes, Columbia, whereas Alabama, you know, they could play the local high school team and they're going to draw in a hundred thousand people. <laughs> I wanted you to give a prediction. We seat seventy thousand people at Faroe Field. How many people do you think are going to be there? I'm going to write oh, this down. I'm going to say. I'm going to say 51,000. Oh, that's pretty pessimistic for what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to say 62. Really? You think that's pessimistic? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they can draw 51 pretty easy. Oh, well, I hope they do. I, listen, I'm excited about it. 
I could almost see this game drawing more than maybe the couple other two cupcake games that, well, I don't know if either one of them are at Faroe now that I'm not looking at the schedule, but... You know, you know we have to I mean? go to Jonesboro the next week. Yeah, but you know what I mean? You, whatever podunk you they play next at Faroe Field, I could see this game drawing more just because it's the first game of the season. And right. Everybody's like me. They're just literally champing at the bit to watch some freaking football. Well, I want to see Drew Locke on the field. Oh, God. That's sweet, sweet Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tall, statuesque body and his... Beautiful eyes. Okay, that's enough of that. Um, Sorry. Yeah, so uh, we'll see. And, and if he does get on the field, you can count on us having a lot more hot mock lock talk. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think that's all I had for this week. It's, I'm just stoked. I'm so roughed up for college football to finally be here. And uh, and finally we can quit talking about it, and it'll be, yeah. it'll be something to talk about. So uh, – I wanted to before we end the show. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the survey. It's uh, remarkable how many people have taken it. It really is. And um, what uh, if I have one thing to uh, bitch about, it's that uh, while we can get uh, a few hundred people to take a survey, we still only have like twelve reviews on iTunes. So people <laughs> get out there and review us on iTunes. Let's move us up the charts a little bit. Yeah, and I think the last one is from like May. So yeah, uh, come on, people. Let's... You've had your summer break. Yeah, get on there. Give us an iTunes review. Obviously, only a positive one. If you want yeah. to say something negative, you just swallow that. Yeah, and follow us on Twitter. Obviously, um, a lot of good information there. Um, great information there. I mean, if you were a Mizzou fan. Ultimately, at this point, and are still subscribing to um, like PowerMizzou.com, understand that there is something that's just like PowerMizzou. It's called Rockem Nation. It's the exact same thing, only it's free. But you do get your information eight minutes later. Yeah, you'll have to wait probably a full eight minutes to get that information on Twitter mm-hmm. from Rockem Nation. And you what, get less uh, rum-dum rockheads uh, putting their two cents in for every article. Well, the, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, then not only that, the only thing you're going to lack is the message boards. But, hey, guess what, guys? There's this thing called Twitter, which mm-hmm. is essentially a giant message board. So um, join 2011 mm-hmm. and get on Twitter. Um, and uh, Save you some money. Yeah, save yourself a buck. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But, yeah, um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you know, rate us on iTunes. Um, Keep filling out the surveys. Uh, we really enjoyed the feedback on those. Uh, yeah, maybe at some point uh, we'll we'll read you some of the, the feedback we've gotten, the good and the bad. <laughs> and let's be honest, it's mostly bad. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're well, pretty terrible. Yeah, no, I'm not going to argue that. Yeah. So, and uh, go to our website, mizodcast.com. There you can either tune into the show or you can, uh, there's a link to the survey on every page so you can see that. And, uh, you know, like I said, fill out the returns. And, we haven't mentioned this before. Tell other people about the show because we have gotten replies on the survey that said, oh, I've already told two or three people about the podcast. That's the fastest way we can grow the show. Yeah, absolutely. Tell your friends. We will send you a uh, brand-new Mercedes in the mail. Um, that's not true. Um, but uh, we do have stickers. Might be. We do yeah. have stickers. So, I mean, if uh, – Yeah, shoot us a line. We will send you a podcast sticker. You can put it proudly on the back of your um, – you go. Yeah, I mean, if you're you're gonna you're gonna um, raise the the value of your car by you know several thousand dollars, probably make up for some depreciation since you've bought it. Yeah. So um, I think with that, we'll shut the show down. And um, next time you hear from us, it'll be college football season. Yes, it will. So M I Z Z O U. Go Tigers. <laughs>